welcome to the Passion Fit Coaching podcast. This podcast is hosted by my husband, Tom Ward, and it is produced and directed by professional athlete Lydia Dant. Tom is our Passion Fit Coaching strategy... No, what are you again? What are you you actually? Coaching strategy creator. So whilst we're trying to figure out the finer details of what Tom's title really means, sit back and enjoy the podcast. Okay, so we felt that this podcast you're about to listen to, this episode you're about to listen to, um, needed a little bit more of an introduction to give it a little bit of context uh, because we've asked Tom to share some of his views, his concerns, his observations that he's made um, over the last few years working with both Lydia and I and, you know, pulling from some of his own personal experience as well. Um, you know, there's quite a lot of observations he's made around um, women in sport and how we are often made to feel. Um, and uh, it was something that he found uh, was quite a a topic that's probably not talked about enough um, and certainly not by men. Now, it's obviously understandable why men perhaps don't talk about this subject a lot. Um, but he, yeah, he felt quite well placed um, to have some of these uh concerns um but understandably he felt quite nervous and anxious to share them because he is aware he is a male um and he'll never fully understand uh, how it feels to be a, a woman in sport surrounded by so many men um but we've really encouraged him to share this because i think his observations are absolutely spot on um and they I think it's more valuable for him to share them than to not. Sometimes not saying anything can be more damaging um, than sharing. In fact, in this circumstance, I think it's highly valuable to share, even if it's not uh, what some people out there might like to hear. And I think if they don't like to hear it, that might be um, exactly a reason to share it and maybe some questions they might want to ask themselves about why they don't like hearing it. the irony is, is the reason he feels anxious and nervous to share is exactly the same observations he's made of how a lot of women feel in the sport. And the irony is he's actually uh, feeling exactly the same thing. And I think you actually comment in the podcast, don't you, Liz? I do. Yeah, it was, it was <laughs> now really you know interesting. How we feel. Now you know how we feel um, towards, towards the end of the podcast. And it was a difficult one to record. And like Lauren said when you're recording something like this and the content of the podcast and as you go on and if you start to go away and do your research do your thinking and see like link up the dots that we've started to to outline are there for you to go and have a look at you'll probably understand why that level of apprehension was there mm-hmm. but and I was like I was like it probably sounds weird from a different side because I was really proud of Tom yesterday mm-hmm. um because someone has to call these things out first and be that first person and it's like well i'm not saying tom's rosa parks but someone has to take that first step and make a stand for what they believe in and knowing that the potential implications or the backlash could be there but like you said lauren like it's because it's it strikes a chord of people and that's when you know you're doing something for the right reasons is when you're taking that stand knowing that actually it's for it's for a better it's for a better reason a reason bigger than yourself um and you'd rather shoulder that than let these things go put put to one side swept under the rug and 
cast to turn an eye the other way which is why most people don't call things out absolutely because that's the easier thing to do and people are, are scared of that stepping out and making a stand for what they truly believe in um so yeah like i mean i've listened back to the podcast as well and again listening back i was like do you know what this this needs to be said yeah agreed so totally. it's not an easy message it's not it's not but it's something that has really hit home for me over the last few years and tom's observations are, are really spot on especially in the earlier part of my journey of, of leading passion fit and of more recent times i've certainly come to learn that actually when somebody makes a criticism of something that i'm trying to do and you know using myself as an example especially when I'm trying to do something good and something positive and do something that adds value to others and someone criticizes it, I've now managed to move from a place of that really hurting and upsetting me and um, and actually feeling discouraged to, to do that positive thing to now thinking, do you know what? That's actually a real reflection of that person's attitude, mm. that person's view of the world. Um, maybe the, their view of themselves um, possibly their own insecurities and their own experiences um, because if you're criticising someone for wanting to do something good and add value um, yeah for me that's something you need to look internally at not externally so um, yeah I think uh, that's certainly something that I've learnt over the last few years and hopefully this podcast will also help others to, to think in that way and like Lyd said help encourage people to feel a bit more comfortable to, to speak out and share their views and opinions that may well add value to others so here we go welcome to episode 11 episode 11 episode 11 of the passion fit coaching podcast so what are we talking about today it's today we're talking about women we are talking about women. So, um, I'm taking a bit of a risk today, aren't I? Yeah. Because I'm going to try and talk about something. I'm going to try, and I say try, I'm going to try and talk about something that I'm totally unqualified to be able to talk about. And I'm going to talk about something that I, the only piece I understand about this is what I don't understand, or the fact that I don't understand. But I'm going to have a go anyway, and I'll explain why I'm going to have a go. Um, and from, from next week, <clears throat> Lauren and Lydia are going to be leading more of these podcast episodes. In fact, the intention all along was for you and Lauren to do these, wasn't it? Yeah, that was. And yeah. there are a number of reasons why that hasn't happened. Um, one of them is linked a little bit to what we're going to talk about today, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, Lauren was actually going to do today's potentially, but she's generally just been a bit too busy the last week or so. So we said I'd have a go. I'm actually pretty anxious about doing it. I'm pretty nervous about doing it because I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to get this right, whether I'm going to be able to get the context right, whether I can even do it justice. But I'm going to have a go because I think it's important to have a try at doing these things. And I think as a man, it's really important to try and talk about these things to the best of your ability. So I might not get it right. I'll help. Liz will hopefully help me. Um, but I might not get it right, but I'm going to do my best. And whatever happens is still going to be a nice learning experience for me and maybe for some other men out there. So, the reason we're going to talk about this is because um, since 2020, the summer of 2020, so pretty much three years ago, yeah. <clears throat> Passion Fit Coaching and what was Phoenix Evolution, Phoenix Evolution, which is now Passion Fitting, yeah. <clears throat> have been run by Lauren and Lydia. So, 
Um, I made up a role for myself, um, which was coaching strategy creator, which um, I don't think is a role at all, really. Um, but uh, it gave you purpose. It gave me purpose. It didn't give me purpose. It gave me self-importance, <laughs> <laughs> not purpose. Cute. Um, but yeah, Laura and Lydia have, have run both the brands, and you know they've run it their way. Um, you know I do help, obviously. Um, because I'm fortunate enough to have some experience in certain areas that allows me to contribute. But ultimately, Passion Fit is Lauren's and Passion Fitting is Lydia's, and they run both of those things, supporting each other. And the, the, even the branding itself is a great representation of you know, what it is that they're trying to do, what they stand for. And one of the things that's, that has, over the last three years, frustrated me and continues to do so is men's attitudes towards the way that not just Lauren and Lydia, but women are, well, men's attitudes towards women within sport, within triathlon, within the corporate world. And um, yeah, it's just starting to, to, to get my goat a little bit really, to be honest with you. And I think it's really unfair, I think it's really inappropriate, I think it has a wider impact and I wanted to talk a little bit about how I felt about that and um, hopefully use this as a way of you know, handing over the, the leadership of the podcast piece as well to, to Lauren and Lydia. So let's just touch a little bit on why they haven't done the podcast previously. So I'll tell you what Liz, rather than me mansplaining it, because I'm about to try and mansplain <laughs> too many things that are outside of my remit anyway, Bef rather than me mansplain what's caused like you guys not to pick up the, the, the podcast over the last couple of years, why didn't you tell some of the guys, listeners, let's call them listeners, um, about why that is? I think <clears throat> there's been a few reasons why. One of the ones that often comes up and is probably more... Uh, is probably more of an issue for women is one of looking a bit bit stupid mm. around like have we got the tech set up right what's the sound quality like um and just making sure we've we've done that done that well enough mm. um and also just with the messages we're getting across because on one hand like in my head i'm like really feisty really divisive and have got lots of thoughts and strong opinions but as soon as you start to voice them and when historically I have voiced them there's been a tendency to be shot down mm -hmm. and that's like then you become a bit more tentative to wanting to do those things so we want to get that the strong messages across mm. um, we want to like ha not have inhibitions or concerns about like, not nailing the podcast right the first time mm. yeah so just picking up from from where I was the um, doorbell went so I had to go and answer that and bring up a load of Amazon packages which weren't actually for me which is like the common theme um, so yeah so what I'm saying is like I'm talking about like maybe being tentative around not nailing the podcast the first time mm. or feeling like if we send out a message that might be slightly more divisive not necessarily controversial or antagonistic but just having a really really strong formulated opinion that how that's received and then the potential like implications of that mm. um, could have consequences that we might <clears> just not have the Teflon shoulders at that moment in time to kind of deal with. Yeah. So that's probably been why we haven't done it um, like together and 
and made that happen yet. Yeah, yeah. And I, I totally understand that. And it's disappointing, obviously, I'm not disappointed in you and Lauren, but disappointed in the societal impact, or the, cultural Im- the cultural impact that's led to that happening. And I can totally see how that happens. Um, you know, and what, what happens all the time is we see this all the time where, you know, ladies who've got more than enough to offer hold back from doing so more than men might because of that fear, that imposter syndrome that they feel that, if I'm honest, I think is as a result, is largely a result of the way that men have treated women over the last, you know, how well, the whole of history, really. And <clears throat> I feel like, I'm not saying I'm, I've got the best position on this, but I feel like I've got a slightly unique way of looking at this in the sense that I currently now work for two ladies. I work with mostly women. I, I coach pretty much only women. And um, a majority of our community is, is ladies, isn't it? And um, obviously I grew up in an environment where my father was, I wouldn't say he was misogynistic or sexist, but he didn't have a particularly uh, high level of respect for women and the place that they, they had in the world. And, and he also, obviously, as you, if you've listened to previous podcasts, <clears throat> you know, didn't treat my mum well at all. Um, and if you haven't listened, I just give you a tiny little bit of background on that. So my dad was, um, you know, quite an incredible coach. And I've talked about him quite a lot on previous podcasts, but he was also a pretty horrible man in the sense that he subjected my mother to 40 years of significant physical and emotional abuse. My sister and I were, you know, on the receiving end of that in the sense that we lived in the house where that was happening and could hear it going on. It was more, for me and my sister, emotional abuse till we got older. I think I was only really on the receiving end of physical abuse a handful of times. <clears throat> my sister too, but in my sister's case, one incident that, that was so serious, unless I've got my facts wrong, because it was quite a long time ago, my dad was actually arrested for attempted murder on my sister as a result of the the, the attack on her. Um, and... Um, you know, we you know we obviously grew up in an environment that was 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 tricky to deal with, and you know my dad's behaviour towards my mum was pretty poor. And of course, for most men that grow up in that environment, that behaviour repeats. And I I'm certainly you know not proud of the person that I became in my early adult years. Um, and my ad- my my attitude towards women in general was pretty poor. My treatment of we- women was pretty poor, and. You know, it's not a time in my life I look back on with any pride at all. Um, but I also can't change it and I can't pretend it, that it wasn't the case. But obviously from my perspective, my journey over the last decade and a half has been very transformative and has, you know, made me see the world in a very different light. And I've obviously now put myself in a situation where I've been forced to, to take a completely different view on things. And I partly did it for those transformative reasons to try and force myself through that process of transformation. So I, I don't like to use the, the phrase poacher turned gamekeeper because that sort of plays it down quite a lot. But I guess there's an element of that in the sense that I've been one of those men that I think is part of the problem. And one of those men that often, those men that still exist now that continue to be the part of the problem. And I like to think that even though I'm still on that journey, I've gone a, a long way through that journey in terms of becoming part of the solution rather than part of the problem. I still get it wrong quite a lot, um, which I find frustrating um, and a little bit embarrassing at times. But I do get it. But I do get it right as well. And you know, I'm proud of the fact that I do. 
and I want to continue to make sure I do that. And part of the reason for doing this episode today is to try and even support me on that journey. That sounds a bit selfish, doesn't it? But um, it is meant to be. And one of the things that I've seen over the time that Lauren and Lydia have been running Passion Fit and, you know, most recently is when they make contentious statements or they challenge individuals' behaviour at an ethical or moral level, um, they've been subjected to some pretty unpleasant, passive-aggressive, um, you know, challenge about their validity, their level of expertise, the value of the products and services that they offer, um, uh, and even their branding and the perception of their branding. And to be quite honest, I think it pisses me off. I think it's wholly inappropriate. And I think it's a massive representation of part of the problem that we have in society. And I understand that it's only a projection of those individuals' insecurities. So those men, and it is only men doing it, certainly doing it vocally. There might be some women doing it behind the scenes. But those men that are doing this, I appreciate, and I know because it was me once, I know it's a projection of their insecurities, but it still doesn't mean it doesn't hurt when it's done to you. And it still doesn't mean that it doesn't reinforce that sense of imposter syndrome that's already there when you're trying to make um, or, or, or gain a foothold in a world that's fundamentally been dominated by men and dictated by men and, and developed by men. And it really upsets me to see it happening, especially when I know how much Lauren and Lydia have to offer. And what's even more special about what they have to offer is not that they don't, it's not that they have expertise and they provide wonderful products and services and a great brand, but it's that they can do it in a way that no man ever could, because no man could ever understand what it's like to be a woman. And one of the things that I'm observing is the way that their approach, uninhibited by the influence of men, although I have to say I do impact on that sometimes inappropriately, and I again, it's something I'm working on, has you know, provided something for people that they, could, they, they didn't really have before. And you know, rather than Lydia and Lauren like continuing on a man's legacy, they decided to start their own. They've decided to start their own culture, their own legacy, their own ideology, their own philosophy. You know, don't get me wrong, I have input into the way that we coach and to some of the strategies. I have input into the ways that we run the business, but that's because I've got a lot of experience in those areas, not because I'm a man. <laughs> and <clears throat> I'm very careful about how I provide that input to make sure that I'm not crossing over into mansplaining or, or gaslighting. And, you know, I think that what we're seeing, like so what I'm seeing is I'm seeing women in particular re respond really positively to the way Lauren and Lydia are going about things because they're suddenly feeling, you know, one, something that the term that somebody used today was a sense of trust, you know, mm -hmm. how, like, in particularly in regards to your bike fits lids, how yeah. they felt as a woman that they could trust you more. I'm not saying that men who do bike fitting aren't trustworthy, but what I'm saying is that, that women felt that the, you know, felt more comfortable that your agenda was sincere and genuine and was that was about what was I, I, best for them I can understand that actually because I was thinking about it at the time and like that best analogy is when women go into a bike <clears> shop <throat> or <throat> even a garage for the car <clears throat> and you're always going in with that potential view you're going to get oversold something yeah. because the assumption is you won't necessarily understand it mm. and that's I guess from the trust side is where that comes in it's not like I'm trying to overcomplicate, oversell something to prey on someone's naivety or lack of knowledge because that's not their area of expertise yeah that's probably how it it kind of feels when you come in for a bike fit with with me and that's where my 
maybe why that trust piece is there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, we're not saying that, that, that the men doing what you do are not trustworthy. No, not at all. No, but it's no. that feeling, isn't it, that yeah. women have, and and that you can obviously provide that that sense of trust. And of course, I guess a woman could be equally as untrustworthy. But oh know, yeah, hundred percent. But it's certainly a. a, a a feeling that you can provide for those those ladies that are coming to see you. But the interesting thing is it's not just women that are responding to this approach that Lydia and Lauren can offer. It's men too. It is. Because I think there's a lot of men that hadn't realised what they really wanted out of this experience, or these experiences, and now they're getting liberated from, you know, um, a situation that they were in because they've been offered something else. Um, and... Well, I've asked, I've asked a few of the men that have come in for a bike fit yeah. with me, especially those who... I'm like maybe more towards that sort of performance edge as well um and maybe that's my sort of imposter syndrome asking them why they want to come to me but equally I was curious because and for them it was actually more of a they wanted to come into an environment where they weren't judged around not knowing certain parts around their bike Mm. their setup their equipment yeah um and also not having to say that they wanted to be faster yeah and that yeah. was that was a really interesting one because that's something I hadn't really thought of before. Yeah. Of that actually, yeah, that does apply, doesn't it? Um, yeah, it does. But yeah, just that feeling of going to another like man for a bike fit. Yeah. You would feel like you kind of almost need to have that bravado and ego around. I want to be faster. I want to make more aero. Yeah. yeah. And that's actually not what they want. But because on the flip side, they feel like they should say that. Yeah. 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 Exactly. They feel like they should say that. Yeah. They they feel they can be open, more open with you about that, which is great, isn't it? You know. So I think. You know, for me, again, you know, what's frustrating is that, you know, Laura and Lydia, they work tires, tires, tirelessly at their own, you know, their personal development, acquiring knowledge, but not just knowledge, acquiring understanding and intuition about the wider journey is that for athletes, you know, Lydia's bike fitting approach is really holistic. It doesn't just look at one thing. It's really holistic and it's very diverse. Um, and, you know, the way that Lauren goes about her coaching journey and her swim coaching journey is equally diverse and holistic. And, you know, both of them work incredibly hard to do everything they can to be as expert as they possibly can. And everybody has to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody has to start. At some point, you've got to make a decision, right, I'm starting. However much expertise I've got, I'm starting. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, I, and I'm always going to learn on the job. And actually, what's interesting is sometimes one of the things you see is that, 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 that so-called experts get so stuck in their ways that they don't continue that personal development, that they become so short-sighted and blinkered, don't they, by yeah. um, uh, and, and focused on a specific way of doing things. That they, because we've always done it that way, we'll continue to do it that Absolutely. They don't look for the evolution in what's happening in the world and society and sport and then try and think about that uh, and how they can how can they can adapt and how they can develop to, to accommodate those 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 new evolving needs from people and that's something that I never see Lydia and Lauren do um, you know and they're constantly discussing with each other with other athletes in the community they actually have a meeting a seminar with our athletes once a week where we engage and encourage them to contribute feedback to us about how we're doing things and how we can make things better as for, from a customer experience point of view from an expertise point of view and I think it's really frustrating when their the validity of their expertise is questioned. Um, you know, they're never going to know everything that they could know. No one can. No one ever exactly. will. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly the point. Um, and expertise comes in very many different forms. And you know, I would argue. I, I don't, I'm not aware. I could be wrong. I'm not aware of any other. You know, um, 
uh, or that many other female bike fitters. There obviously are bike fit female bike fitters, aren't there? But perhaps doing it like the way you do, Lids. Um, and I, I'm certainly not aware of any really, you know, um, uh, any coaching companies like ours with the facilities that we have that's led by two women. And um, you know, one of the things that's absolutely clear and must be a fact is that no man could know more about how it feels to be a woman on a bike or in a swimming pool or wearing a swimming costume or wearing a tri suit or executing swimming or whatever it might be than a woman could know. No. It can't it can't be it's been possible, right? <laughs> no matter what men think, they know. They could never know more than a woman could know about being a woman. No. Okay. Spot on. Funnily enough. Yeah. Okay. So I think this is something that's really important. And then the other thing that gets my goat is that you know, one of the things that Lauren and Lydia decided on with Passion Fit and the coaching proposition is that we were going to provide a really, really in-depth, um, really bespoke one-to-one personal service for athletes at Passion Fit and that the level of um, opportunities that athletes would have to engage with each other and the coaches would be arguably way above beyond what, every, what anybody else was going to be doing. They just decided, this is what we want to do. This is how we want our coaching product to look like. We want to have all these things available to all of our athletes. That's going to take up X amount of our time, which is quite significant. To do that, we can probably only have eight to 10 athletes each. And to do that, we have to charge this amount. Now, to, to, to suggest that that cost is extortionate or is not good value for money is completely wrong. Because you can't, cost and value are not the same thing. And you also can't suggest that, that the, the cost of somebody else's products or services is too much and unless it's costing much, much more than someone else providing exactly the same product or service exactly. to that level. It, it makes no sense, it's a nonsense. So that's something that I, see, I find frustrating that people make that judgment call and say, oh, that it's not good value for money or it's too expensive when they haven't actually tried it. They don't actually know what it is that's provided because I can tell you now, watching how hard Lauren and Lydia work and the amount of time they spend with their coached athletes, if they earn £5 an hour, I'd be surprised, right? <laughs> so, you know, I think that it might cost more than most, but that doesn't mean it's less value and it might even be better value than some cheaper products and services out there because cost and value are not the same thing. I think this is really important. I'm really proud that Lauren and Lydia had the courage to stick with that structure. They have released, or Lauren has released some new products recently, which Liz is part of as well, that provide the same level of service, but in a different way. Um, and But I'm really proud that they stuck to their guns there and didn't compromise on the service to bring the cost down. And they took the risk to provide this high level service that they felt was the level of service that they thought was appropriate and stuck to it. And I, it's cost them money. That's the irony. It actually costs Lauren and Lydia money because what it does is it reduces the size of their market massively, um, which is not something they want to do. And the altruistic goal that they have is to create a, a model that allows them to coach people for free. Um, you know, that's a, a different story, but that is a goal that they have and they actually have a strategy to work towards that over the next five years or so. But um, at the moment, that's not possible. And, you know, we are opening more free coaching places um, you know, for people, but we are also, um, you know, Passion Fit's a very, very small business. People think that we're a big business. You know, there are lots of big coaching brands out there, but we're probably one of the smallest. Mm. You know, there's only three of us. In fact, in some ways, two and a half of us, because Lids, you don't do, you do your, obviously your bike consultation stuff as well. 
and you're also a professional athlete. Yeah. Whereas for me and Lauren, so basically it's me and Lauren and then Lyd's doing some coaching as well. That's it, isn't it? Yeah. And I thought pe- you're going to say it was the half because I'm short. <laughs> you are quite short. Um, but it's, um, you know, it, it's really, you know, I think people don't rec- you know, aren't aware of that being the case. You know, no, just no, because well. Lauren's really good at social on social media and the brand stands out and, you know, our, our athletes are, you know, uh, really engaging at races doesn't mean that it's, we're, we're a really big brand. We're actually pretty small. There's two people and there's not many other coaching companies out there that just have two staff nope. who also are the owner, the manager, the cleaner, the dog walker, the cook, etc., etc. So I think that's really important for people to understand. And it, it, from my point of view, looking on, it's really frustrating when and people challenge this. And the same with what you do, Lids. Yeah. You know, obviously you actually charge quite a lot less than a lot of bike fitters for I do. what you do. But I watch Lydia and like Lydia, like when you come to see Lydia for a bike fit, you don't turn up and have a two hour bike fit. She looks after you from start to finish. And when I mean start to finish, I mean literally from, okay, why are you coming in for the bike fit? What is it you're looking to try and achieve? Talking to you about your goals, your aspirations, the equipment that you already have, the equipment you're thinking of having. When you come in, she goes through that with you. Then she follows that up afterwards and talks about like what, you're going to do going forwards and unless you come back for another bike fit there's no extra cost to that no. ongoing support um you know to give you a couple of examples like yesterday we actually or Lydia actually sent an athlete away having had the courage to tell them they had the wrong bike so they turned up for a bike fit and you said look i can make this fit for you and we can spend 500 quid on equipment um trying to make it fit but it still won't it's the wrong size so look, you actually have to go away. We have to look at option, other alternative options for you here because we tr- probably need to find you a different size bike. And actually, I was really proud of what of that, and I was really pleased to see how refreshing um, the athlete felt about that approach because she just was pleased to be told that and not like have a bike fit sold to her because she because it was in Lydia's interest to do so. Lydia, don't, you won't stock or sell any equipment either, do you? No, because you want to make sure that well, you don't have any bias. Yeah. yeah, you want to make sure that athletes are always, you know... Getting the right thing for them, yeah. not based on what's going to increase my actual revenue yeah. through the bike fit Yeah, so there could be a lot of different... So, for example, like, you know, you use multiple different... You advise on multiple different products and services... Products and services... Products, rather, are, you know, for people to buy for their yeah. bikes based on what their needs are on your your market research and your market awareness and that will vary greatly yeah, from person based on to person individual. yeah i mean so um, i do particularly like suspension seat posts but um so far no one else has gone away and bought one have they so nope because no, we're not that old and they don't listen to me <laughs> <laughs> so that's something else that you know i think is really important and i i think that it's really inappropriate when particularly men are challenging those choices that Lauren and Lydia made when they don't understand. And I can tell you now, I've never had a, a, a situation where I've seen an athlete unhappy. Actually, the only time athletes are ever unhappy is with me. <laughs> yeah, that is generally the case. <laughs> it's generally the case, isn't it? And that's usually only me because I'm just generally And it's generally just you being unhappy with me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I get the brunt of it. So, you know, it's, and do you know what? I mean, I don't know whether I should talk about this, but even from the very start of your journey. Yeah. A number of men in your life were quite challenging about whether or not it was a good decision for you to make. Perhaps yeah. Men who perhaps prob- should have been supporting you no matter what. Yeah. In fact, to the point where one of the men in your life said to me, "Yeah, um, I don't know why you're bothering because she'd never be good enough to be a pro." Yep. Who very quickly unfollowed you on social media when you won Ironman Lanzarote? Didn't yeah, they? they did very quickly. <laughs> so, quite funny you know, that. it 
it's just really frustrating when you hear that kind of thing. Yeah, and you equally know. I've had it said about the bike fitting piece as well. Yeah. Um, and it is frustrating because those are the sorts of things that put Caesar doubt in your mind. Yeah. And you go away and think, actually, well, am I? Or could I? Yeah. It's like I said, it's the start of that imposter syndrome piece yeah. again, isn't it? And it's how to like work past that yeah. and be confident in your skill set. And also yeah. like the value that you're like giving to someone else with the skills yeah. that you have. Um, and like you said, like the approach to bike fitting, okay, it's more holistic. Yeah. Um, I'm not being driven by gimmicks, what I think people will want, what looks flashy. I'm actually just doing helping people in the way that that's going to get them to enjoy their bike in the best way possible. Which is helping people. Exactly. That's the and agenda, that, And that's it. it. That, yeah. is, that is absolutely yeah. it. And, and actually helping them to see what they really want as yes, well, exactly. isn't it? Not, not make an assumption that they want faster. Nope. Yeah, you know, try and find out what it is they do want. Like, mm-hmm. I'm a good example. I know it's because we work on my, my bike setup together, don't yeah. we? But, you know, I, I, don't get me wrong, I have, got, I have got a bit faster. I'm still not as fast as Lydia, but I've got a bit faster. Um, but obviously one of the things that we've worked on a lot with me is things like injury prevention and comfort as being two of the primary yep, decision okay. makers around all of my bike setup choices across my mountain bike, my gravel bike and my time trial bike. And that's been a real revelation for me because I've had three years of back issues where I was approaching it with a performance and aerodynamics based approach, even with a decent understanding of physiology and quite a lot of experience in, you know, in, in the physical training industry, you know, over 30 years really. <clears throat> and um, you know, Lydia was able to help me look at it from a different perspective, and it's really helped me. And actually, consequently, it's helped my performance go up because I feel better about my journey. I'm able to sustain my training a lot more and be more effective. So it's really interesting. And <clears throat> and I, you know, like using that word, I don't know how you would ever get to the point where you could describe yourself as a cycling consultant and people would understand because you have to kind of use the word bike fit. Yeah, otherwise, because those people don't seem to. No, what you do, do they? Um, It's like us, we have to use the word performance coach and triathlon coach, even though it's not entirely what we do. Um, But um, which is why perhaps people don't understand the value piece because they're like, oh, well, you're a triathlon coach and you charge this much, when actually there's a lot more to it in the way that we do things. So, but you, you know, it's it's not just a bike fit, is it? That you provide, you know, and what Lauren's providing is not just triathlon coaching. It's much more extensive than that. Okay, so, you know, there's a lot of things in there and I, I hope that I've, presented that quite well um and you know one of the, th- the other things that i wanted to touch on and i, I don't know how, how how controversial this will be lids you can hopefully save me if i if i you know dig myself in a hole here or back you up if not maybe <laughs> we'll see. see is one of the thing, the other things that frustrates me and people will probably be aware of this being something that frustrates me because i've written about it before and i've talked about it quite a lot is the behaviour I see from both men, but in particular from women, that does a lot of damage to women's journeys. Yeah. And look, I'm going to be really blunt about this one, I think, um, and, and cite one or two things in particular. I won't, I'm not going to use names, actually, because that's not very fair. If people want to know more about this, um, they can message me or message us. So a lot of you will be aware, but a lot of you won't be aware that at the moment, one of the most high-profile coaches in our sport is a convicted child rapist. Okay, let's just be really clear on that, okay? Under current UK law, he would be a convicted child rapist. He is convicted, he's a convicted paedophile. He um, sexually assaulted on multiple occasions a 14-year-old girl that he was coaching. He's banned from coaching in his home country and the UK. Um, Technically, he's not banned from coaching in the UK, but British Triathlon have been pretty clear on the fact that he would be if he applied for a coaching licence. So he coaches in a country in Europe that is... Um, famous for its indifference um, and 
yet he is the coach of choice for a number of the world's top athletes. In fact, the two fastest female long distance athletes of all time were both coached by him and both knew about his conviction for child rape. And for me, that's scary. Now, there are also a number of other athletes that are either coached by him or coached by his understudies, all of whom, again, are really aware. In fact, one of those athletes has a backstory as an abuse survivor themselves, a little bit like me, and still feels an appropriate decision to be coached by one of this, this coach's team. And I find that really difficult to accept and understand. Now, you know, some of you, one of the things that I often hear, and in fact, I heard recently from, from a reasonably high profile person in our sport, was a, a comment that, oh, well, isn't it about time we forgot about you know, the past? Seriously, give me a break. Now, some of you out there might actually be abuse victims. Now, I've, I, I'm obviously an abuse victim, a domestic abuse victim. I'm not, you know, a sexual abuse victim, but a good friend of mine is. And, um, you know, the impact that this individual's inclusion in our sport has on the way they feel is significant. And this person's a man, not a woman as well. Right? This person's a man. Um, and it's a real trigger for them. And I, do you know what? That alone is enough for this person to not be included in our sport. This is a person, just to be, be mindful, this person's conviction is such that if they went to prison, and I know firsthand from someone that was involved in this person's prosecution, still is bewildered how he even escaped prison, let alone was, is still able to coach. If this person was in prison, would have to be segregated from normal population because of the potential consequences to them of being part of that population. All right, that's how heinous this offence is. And yet, numerous women and men but predominantly women in our sport choose this person as their coach. Now, I understand there's, a, there's complexities here. I understand the complexities around the power dynamic in these situations, and I'm not saying that these women themselves don't aren't potentially victims in some, in some form or another. So I don't want to make too many judgment calls, but what I'm saying is the impact of those choices is significant. Firstly, one of the messages it gives out to abuse survivors is that their trauma doesn't matter. That's not important. And it's effectively indirectly gaslighting them into believing that how they feel is wrong, it's crazy, that they shouldn't feel as upset and hurt about their experiences as they do, or they shouldn't feel triggered by this person's inclusion in our sport. That's the first message that it gives out, which really scares the shit out of me, to be honest with you. And I just think that we idolise a lot of these women and they're making this choice. And one of the reasons that we often idolize a lot of these women is because people don't know that they've made this choice. And that's part of the problem as well, because what's happening, this coach's reputation is getting washed because people would assume these women are such high profile, these athletes are so high profile that no one would assume. In fact, somebody messaged, someone had a photograph taken with this coach a little while ago, and I messaged this individual and said, why would you want to have a photograph taken and post it on your social media with that child rapist? And he had no, this is someone who's been in the sport for 20 years and had no idea about this individual's conviction. Because, and he actually messaged back and said, well, why would this athlete and this athlete and athlete, athlete be okay with being coached by um, a sexual, a paedophile? Um, and I said, that's exactly my point. The point is that every time these athletes choose, they're washing his reputation and gaslighting abuse survivors. But there's another point. This is one that came up in my head the other day. Every single time somebody chooses to be associated with this, this individual coach or anybody like him, really, and make it out to be okay, they're effectively giving the message out, or they're 
telling other men that are like him that it's all right, that it's okay to be one of those assholes. I'm not saying that the, that the other men might be paedophiles, but what I'm saying is that there are a lot of men out there that are not very nice. They're pretty awful men. And every time an awful man like this gets validated, all the other awful men, consciously or unconsciously, recognise that it's okay for them to carry on being awful. And I'll tell you how I know, and I know for sure, is because I was one of those awful men. That's how I know. Not anymore, but I was. And that's how I know that that's the case. Because that's the kind of validation I would have fallen back on when I was justifying my own bad behaviour in my early adult life. And that's the other thing that people don't realise. And this goes really deep because there are very high profile people, men within the sport that have a lot of influence over our sport, that are a personal friend of this coaches, which I don't think is appropriate. Um, and I think that there needs to be more awareness of this situation because I think it's really damaging for our sport. But I also think it's really damaging for um, the... Uh, the impact that women can have on the sport. In fact, I know that men won't respect these women, these accomplished women, because of that choice. Because a lot of men won't respect them for that choice. So you could probably hear a motorbike going by in the background, sorry. I think it's a motorbike or something. Aeroplanes. Aeroplanes. Oh. Um, so for me, it's really, really frustrating. And of course, there are other things within our sport that are concerning. You know, there's a... Um, you know, there's, uh, there's obviously a team of athletes at the moment that exists in our sport where the, the, the headline sponsor of that team is very, very controversial um, in terms of their human rights record and also comes from a culture where women's rights probably aren't as progressive as those in our culture. Um, I don't want to talk out of turn, that's not my area of expertise, but that's my understanding of that culture and that bothers me that the athletes feel like that it's okay to make that choice to be part of that team and that feels to me like a decision driven by money mm -hmm. rather than anything else now of course everyone's ethical position is different everyone's level of integrity is different so I suppose it's up to people to make that choice but I personally don't think it's good for our sport that that's happening um, you know it's certainly not as serious as what we just talked about previously because it's much much greater I suppose but it's still not, from my perspective, doesn't feel ideal that that's the case. There's a foundation, a very high profile foundation in our sport that is actually connected to supporting underprivileged ch children that has very strong connections to the coach, the paedophile coach that I talked about earlier. Worrying. Do you know, when I say those words, paedophile coach, it actually, like, I think, oh, is it okay for me to say that? And I'm actually, do you know, yeah. The reality is that's the fact, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, one of I actually had a conversation with one of this coach's athletes a little while ago, a woman, and you know, fair play to her. She um, she responded to something I sent her very politely and, and, and with much and with great dignity. But one of the things that she said to me is, "Oh, I hate. I, I don't. I don't think you should refer to him as a paedophile." That's what he is. Yeah, exactly. That's what I said. <laughs> I said that's exactly what he is. I think you're missing my point. And and so it, it's really concerning because because the other argument of course that's interesting isn't it that comes up quite often is that oh well the individual girl involved was consenting mm. now it doesn't matter what way you look at this at 14 you can't consent 
it's not relevant. So there's all kinds of arguments that go on around this, but the facts are the facts. The facts are that the girl's 14 years old. The facts are that what happened happened. The individual even pleaded guilty to it. Um, those are the facts, and those are probably the only things that matter. Nothing else really matters, whether it was consenting or not consenting isn't relevant. No. Um, how long ago it was wasn't relevant. Um, you know, they, none of those things matter. They are what they are, and, you know, it's a pretty concerning state of affairs. And what worries me is it's because people's lack of knowledge that bothers me. And every time, particularly a woman makes a choice to work with this coach, it's really damaging. And it's really damaging in all the ways I've just told you. And people won't agree with me. That's fine. Um, but, you know, unless you've been or worked with abuse survivors, um, or and, you know, like I said, I think, I think I'm uniquely placed to make that call because I've been at the receiving end of some pretty uncomfortable abuse. I've got friends and I've worked with people who are abuse survivors. And of course, as an individual myself, I've been on the wrong end of the spectrum of male behavior. And I can understand how those things impact. And it worries me quite a lot. Now, I understand the irony is that even now as a man, I could never understand how difficult it would be for a female abuse survivor to deal with what I've just talked about. Um, and I'm never going to understand that. I'm never going to fully be able to empathise with that. But like I said, I can just do my best. Um, and I hope I've articulated that well. I don't want to just whinge and moan about it. I don't want to just whine about it. But do you know what? It's interesting, isn't it? Because the fact that I'm worried about whining about it and whinging about it implies that I'm being gaslighted. Yeah, and to think you shouldn't be saying this. Yeah, yep. yeah, isn't it? Right, yeah. I shouldn't be saying this because someone's going to say to me, oh, well, it was a long time ago. She was consenting. He's a really great coach. He's a really nice guy. He's been really nice to me. And I shouldn't have to feel like that about it, should I? No. You know? Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's really concerning. Um, uh, so I don't know. I mean, how does that stop? I don't know how that stops. Um, but the thing is, if you don't say it and raise awareness, then how are people ever going to really realise and start to understand what's actually like the background the context and the impact of their decisions as well because like yeah. you said like some people when you've pointed out to them in situations yeah. and by coaches and associations etc they haven't even realized the connection yeah and that's worrying too yeah because people it's been like sports washing isn't it actually yeah to the point where the message has been diluted that people don't know yeah so if someone isn't highlighting it then people aren't ever going to realize and that's yeah. essentially what they want yeah <laughs> exactly so, yeah exactly like, yeah point. like so it is having that like courage to to speak out yeah and I, I'm a bit scared and I'm sitting here feeling scared that I'm saying this when I absolutely shouldn't be because I'm only stating facts and I'm stating facts about my own experiences and why I feel like it's a problem and um, you know like I said it, it's 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 because people make the assumption that an athlete the athletes that have chosen to work with this individual they'll assume there's no way they'd ever choose somebody that yeah, had they'd be whiter than white correct and, and one of them in particular has a has a really high profile in well-being now. exactly yeah. that really is bothering me that really does bother me quite a lot I want, to, I want to want to reiterate one thing though to make sure this has balance what I'm not doing which a lot of people do is I'm not debating or challenging this coach's coaching style okay one of the things that a lot of people do about this coach which also irritates me not as much as the other thing but also irritates me is a lot of people talk about this coach's coaching style and they refer to him as a bully now, don't get me wrong, he may well be. I don't know. I'm not saying he's not, but I'm also not saying he is. Um, and I think we have to be very careful. Unless you might, 
it, it's perfectly sound to say he bullied me. I felt that he bullied me, or I found him to be a bit of a bully. But I don't think you can say that his coaching style isn't appropriate or isn't right because, of course, one person's bully is someone else's motivator. My dad was a bit of a bully, but I and a lot of other people, a lot of people found that the case, but a lot of people found it very motivating and drive them on and help them unlock high levels of their potential. And for me, there'd be a lot of good in the end. So I think it's inappropriate for people to challenge that. They can feedback on how they found his coaching style, but it's not like he's been found guilty of any misconduct on that front. So until those are the facts, I don't think we should be questioning or challenging that. I think that's a bit unfair. Um, I do understand there's a risk that it, when people are like that, they can have quite an emotional, um, a, a level of emotional control over the athletes they work with and sort of create an element of sort of dependence and Stockholm syndrome. But to suggest that that's the case is wrong. Unless someone's been investigated and that's been, to, been to found, found to be the case, you can't, we can't be making statements like that. And I'm never going to make a statement like that about this individual because that wouldn't be right. Um, but the facts that I have stated for me should be enough for this person not to be involved in our sport and for anyone with appropriate levels of integrity and ethical balance, moral balance, shouldn't be making a choice. Maybe they don't feel it's a problem for them, but it's about the impact that it can have on other people and the message that it gives out um, that's that's the issue. And I have written about this and um, you know I feel very strongly about it, as you can tell, and I think it's quite damaging and I can see the damage it does to people. Um, you know, when they uh, see this person's profile in sport being raised. And, you know, our current professional body have done, take, you know, have, have created scenarios where this individual's profile has been able to be raised. And there are quite strong personal connections between senior members of the sports professional body and this individual, I think, unless, again, unless I've got my facts wrong. So for those of you out there saying, you know, we should forget about it, it was a long time ago, the girl was consenting, um, you know, all these things, like guys, honestly, you really need to go away and have a think about it. And I suggest you go and chat to some abuse survivors to understand better, you know, what is actually going on in this situation. Um, so I think those are some of the things that I, I still feel anxious about having said that. You should mm, I know, but it doesn't stop me feeling like that. Okay, so, you know, guys, for me, I'm in a really complicated situation because I want, I'm trying to work really hard and do my absolute best to try and create an environment where you know two women can change a small part of the world. I, I love watching Lauren and Lydia try to change the world in such a way that it's better for women. Not adapt to be successful in a man's world and on men's terms, which is what a lot of women do do, and a lot of men obviously, but actually change the world so it's better for women. Um, and it's interesting how much positivity that's adding to so many men. And I do really wonder if maybe the world we live in had been moulded by women, it would just feel a lot better for all of us. <laughs> it would be a really, really different place. Yeah, it would. It would. And I certainly, on my experiences so far, I've been in an environment I've put myself in and created, you know, for myself and Lydia and Lauren have changed for me over the last few years. Um, and Lauren, before that, you know, as my partner and my wife, I feel really privileged to be able to have a different perspective and have changed so much as a person. I have a very, very long way to go. I probably have longer to go than I've been. Um, I still make far too many mistakes. I say far too many of the wrong things. Um, but I hope I'm, I know, I know I'm trying my best. 
Um, so hopefully that came across okay today. Lydia hasn't called me out or corrected me. Um, so hopefully it um, was all right. And from this point on, I will be, you know, uh, creating some podcast content because there are some things within the passion fit world that you know the my specialist areas and I'll be creating some content around those things but Lauren and Lydia are going to be doing a lot more now for the ladies out there please you know take the time to listen to what they're doing take the time to reach out to them and connect with them um, because obviously the more women that can come together supporting each other for the right reasons the better and, I, and I'd love to see that happen and um more than anything, I'd you know people probably think, oh, he likes the sound of his own voice, you know, oh, he's you know he's really extrovert, he's a real show off. It's not the case. I, you know, I'm a confident introvert. I think that was the way that someone put it once. Um, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be trained by people in, you know, I'm not I'm not saying I'm a, a, a presenter. I'm not, I'm you know I'm no Paul Kay or Joe Murphy or you know Michael Parkinson, but I I you know I've been in an environment where I've learned to be able to talk you know, with some conviction and confidence, um, you know, across most of my life. And so, you know, I feel happy doing this, but I do get nervous about doing the podcast. Yeah, I do get a bit anxious about doing them. I do, I listen to them about, we've re-recorded quite a few because I haven't been happy about it, the way they've been delivered. Um, but it isn't that I want to do them. I don't, I don't really. I do and I don't. I want to do them because I want to help people, but I don't want to do them because I feel like it's important that I do them. I think it's actually more, much more important than Laura and Lydia do. So hope, thank you for putting up with me for the first few, but hopefully now it's over to Laura Lids if they can get past the imposter syndrome that other people make them feel, because I know that they can do a wonderful job of not just the podcast but everything else that they're striving to achieve, and hopefully you guys will and others will support them on that journey. Okay, was that all right? Yeah. God, I keep seeking for validation. <laughs> Gosh, how bad is my imposter syndrome? It's all right. Now you know how we feel. On yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, right. Well, I'm off to watch some athletics. Yeah. In fact, I'm not. I'm actually going to go and deliver an online seminar. I am. Okay. Thanks, guys. Take care. So that was probably a lot of information for many of you out there to listen to and digest. And some of it may well have been quite new information that you weren't aware of. So, um, yeah, like I say, it may, may well take some time to digest some of that. Um, and really reflect on it too. So it might be a podcast you may need to rewind and listen to a couple of times uh, to work out and reflect on yeah, what your thoughts and where your stance on a lot of this is. And really start to think about um, who your role models in the sport are and why that might be as well. Um, yeah, you know, I've certainly got some really clear role models in the sport and they might not be who people would expect they might be um but for some really clear reasons and i've no doubt that you know lydia will share some of these opinions as well but for me personally like there's, there's there's probably a couple that i would share and i'll share openly um for two different reasons the the first couple are um Fenella and nikki i i i love watching their that's so nikki bartlett um, I love watching their journey because they're two people I genuinely watch and they really do look like they love the journey. They look like they have fun and they enjoy it. And I think that that's sometimes something that a lot of people can lose um, and get distracted 
um, and, and that's something that they always seem to stay connected with so that for me and for those of you that know my personality that won't come as a shock either um, <laughs> but for me they also very much appear to follow their own journey and do what they want to do and involve those close people that are important to the them fr- the phrase I journey. like is they love the process but they also take the process seriously yes yes they've I think got they that have really a really good balance agreed they? I think that's a great way of phrasing it actually 100% and I'm pretty sure you'll share this this next one with me, Liz. In fact, you might even be able to guess who I'm going to say. You're going to say Emma Pallant? Yes. <laughs> you, yeah, absolutely. She's a role model apart from the fact that she hasn't f- fully succumbed to getting a pair of Crocs yet. <laughs> so apart from that, so Emma, if you're listening, there you go. That's just one more thing you need to fulfil to fully become <laughs> both of our role models. But other than the fact that she also has staffies as well... Um, but I think some probably someone that has uh, made one of the most powerful statements of recent times from a female and the most genuinely powerful and impactful social media post that I've seen from a female for a long time. You'd probably agree, I totally Liz. agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, something that was real, that some might shy away from, some might be nervous. You know, we've talked quite a lot today about, you know, topics you know feeling nervous or anxious to talk openly about and um you know for those of you uh, that follow emma you'll you'll know what post i'm talking about the the photo of her um in her tri suit um it was at one of the pto i think it was or events. ibiza, I can't oh, ibiza. sorry i think you're right i think it was ibiza um and and i just thought that post was one of the most powerful posts i've seen uh, the most honest and um you know really stood for something and really spoke out on behalf of a lot of women um so that was something that i thought was uh yeah i, ha- I haven't seen for a while and i can't recall of recent well, it times was anything like, else it was, was actually powerful. true yes that's the thing for me it's like we've all there's a lot of um there's a lot of athletes and especially like where i've had the insight in the past like 18 mm. 24 months into into the pro ranks yes and there's a lot of athletes that i've looked at historically look at now and my perspective of whether they are or aren't a role model has truly changed. Yes. And I think, like, I just want to link this piece all back up because we highlighted and Tom highlighted earlier there's some, some athletes that are deemed fast. And as people, we generally gravitate towards fast being, oh, they must be a, a good person because they're the top performers as such. Um, but that doesn't that doesn't necessarily that's not the case and there's so many examples i can think of and people that i've looked to as role models and i've now totally changed my perspective from getting a better understanding of actually what are their values um decisions that they've they've made and like learning that i'm like thinking actually others as well well yeah exactly and there's like i mean a lot of people refer to this all the time it's like you see people's social media lives and how they portray themselves are they really truly living and breathing what they're saying or are they just paying lip service to what they think is the right well what they think is the right thing to say but they're yes. not actually authentically doing that yeah and that's for me is looking at actually look is someone role model not just because of their fast because a lot of athletes can be fast but it doesn't mean that they're role model in terms of their behaviors and what they're doing but are they even moving the sport forward mm-hmm. and this is the thing to look at because from closer to home as well i feel because we've all got responsibility and we're really fortunate in passion fit to have a community of well predominantly female athletes yeah yeah um now which is like really really unique and i feel the way that we collectively support each other 
we're helping to move each other forwards. Like we're not there. Um, oh, you might have to help with my phrasing this because I'll just be really, really blunt. Um, <laughs> we're not. <laughs> we're not. We're not challenging and criticizing each other. But we are challenging each other. We have but a saying as well, don't we? A soft space versus a safe yeah. space. Yeah. And I think a lot of lot of like in particular a lot of women they default to um, like allowing their insecurities to come out which is fine because we've all we've all got them and stereotypes but, yeah and allowing that to sort of manifest in a way that's saying that it's okay it might not be all right uh, it might be that actually do you know what they've got a choice in mm-hmm. how they're thinking or feeling etc and by actually helping someone to realize that could help them to move forwards rather than all collectively coming together and actually just allowing that to sort of perpetuate yeah um and I think a good example that you that you gave to me, Lids, was, you know, I think uh, with bikes or setups, yeah. and obviously you get lots of females in for, for bike fits and bike consultations, and a really common one you probably come across is that females often think that they can't change their bike setup themselves or make adjustments to their bike or, cert, you know, service that certain things on their bike um, or do any kind of mechanical work on it at all because... And the reality is, is they really think that because they're a female, they think that's yeah. not that's that's not what um, you know that's not within my skill set, or I can't do that. Um, and really, we are then allowing ourselves to fall into that stereotype of, or because I'm a female, that's that's not the sort of thing or, we're good I'm at. Not mechanically minded. Yes, that's one that comes up a lot. Yeah, that's probably the phrase you hear, isn't yeah. it? Whereas, how many times have you heard a male say that phrase? Yeah, um, literally hardly ever. Yeah, um, because they're, my perception anyway is, you know, they, they might do it and get it wrong, but <laughs> they're happy to give it a go. Give it a go. Um, and we need to make sure we're encouraging each other to give it a go. Yeah. And we might get it wrong, um, but it's all right, you know. Um, you also might get it right and you might surprise yourself. Um, but I think we need to make sure we're not holding ourselves back. Exactly. By allowing what um you know any sort of preconceived ideas yes of what we can and can't do yeah rather and just yeah like i said not hold each other back let's let's utilize this opportunity to actually support each other mm-hmm. like constructively challenge each other and actually just question well, actually why isn't why why can't i do that rather than thinking i can't as the default yes well, why can't i like there is no difference essentially you can do it mm-hmm. and come on girls let's start to get together yeah and make these like like there's so many different ways that we can actually support each other let's not just give lip service to women supporting women um let's actually make it happen authentically and look at who your role models are really really think about who your role models are and what your place in the world is yeah because we can all do so much like like we do say a lot and i've listened to a really good podcast recently about if women had led the way in the world how mm-hmm. we probably wouldn't have climate change now oh, i know this is going off on totally different <laughs> it would be con- a very different context, world but think about, it? imagine what it would be like yeah it's because like like and it's thinking about it in sport as well and how we can make sport our own just because it's always been more of a male construct doesn't mean that we have to then follow suit mm-hmm. so i think there's a massive opportunity right now for us to look at our role models look at our our narrative about ourselves mm-hmm. And you know what? Let's take a stand. Let's make sport our own and use it to actually help ourselves become better and better and better. Absolutely. In our own way, doing I think it. That's a style. great. 
summarization of, of that and and what to take away from this podcast um so yeah think about who your role models are think about your dialogue your kind of inner dialogue about yourself um and are there some key things there that you could reflect on and we'd love you to pop us a message you know pop us a message through our social media channels let us know if you've listened to this what you think um you know if we've prompted any thought if you've got any questions um we'd love to start a dialogue with with lots of you out there um that this has really hit home with thank you so thanks for listening everyone <laughs>